today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Our culture makes assumptions about people because of the category that they've put that person in or the label they've put on that person. But when Jesus looks at a person, he doesn't see labels. He doesn't see categories. He doesn't make assumptions. Jesus sees a man or he sees a woman. He sees a person who was made in the image of God. Have you ever struggled with a label that culture has put on you? Maybe you've made some mistakes and that is all you're known by. Maybe the world has said you're not good enough and you actually begin to make that part of your identity. In today's message, Pastor Dan will be sharing about our identity in Christ. Jesus can look past the things that we've done and see our hearts. Jesus sees us for who we are, and He can help rip off the labels that the world puts on us. He helps us step into our true identity. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Matthew chapter 9 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. says, but Jesus, look what it says, knowing their thoughts, that's omniscience, which is also a characteristic of God. God is omniscient. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he knew what they were thinking. Did you know that Jesus knows all your thoughts? Now, that might comfort you or that might scare you. Hebrews 4.13, all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. First Chronicles 28, 9, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. He knows our thoughts. That's why we should walk in the light with him. Nothing is hidden from him. And so verse four. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Again, that's something only God can do. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? It's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, because there's no visible way to show that your sins are forgiven. If I say, arise and walk to a paralyzed person, they will either arise and walk or not. And you will know immediately if I have the power to heal a paralytic. And so it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Now watch what he says in verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man, remember that's a messianic title from Daniel chapter 7. We talked about that. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, Take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. So Jesus now demonstrates that he has the power to both heal and forgive sins. And look at verse eight. Now, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and look, they glorified God 
who had given such power to men. The multitudes that were there glorified God, recognizing that this miracle could only be done by God, and that God has given Jesus the authority, the power to not only heal, but to forgive sins. And by the way, healing of a paralytic is also a messianic sign from the Old Testament. Again, if you're taking notes, Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 to 6, listen to what it says. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. That's what Jesus said to this paralytic son, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid is the idea. Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. Then when God comes, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then when God comes, the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Isaiah 35 prophesied that when God comes, he will make the lame leap like a deer. And that's what Jesus did with this man, showing his deity, showing his messiahship to all the religious leaders of Judaism. All the religious leaders are sitting there in the audience. That's why he does this. That's why he doesn't just send, heal the guy and send him on his way. If you're taking notes, this now becomes a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. After this event here, with the healing of the paralytic and forgiving of his sins. After this now, Pharisees and religious leaders follow Jesus everywhere he goes. And they're asking him questions everywhere he goes and challenging him and confronting him and interrogating him. And so they they showed up just to investigate, trying to figure out, is this guy the Messiah or not? And now because of this event here where he forgives the guy's sins, now Now they're going to start interrogating him. Now it's going to become kind of more adversarial and confrontational with the religious leaders. Next, we have the call of Matthew, the tax collector. Look at verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and follow him. Now, Now, Matthew was a tax collector. This is Matthew who wrote the gospel of Matthew, and he's stationed at the tax office or the custom house that was there near Capernaum. Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel tells us that Matthew's name was also Levi, which means Matthew was of the tribe of Levi. He was a Levite. Now, Levites served God in the temple, but Matthew, at some point in his life, He abandoned his calling as a Levite to serve God and decided instead to become a tax collector. Now, tax collectors collected taxes or customs, tolls, for the Roman Empire. They they were Jews who collected taxes for the Romans. And he collected taxes from travelers. Remember, there's that that major trade route that passed by the city of Capernaum, the Via Maris, and they essentially had like a toll booth on it, and they would charge tolls to use the road. And get this, they would base it on the number of wheels you have on your cart. Can you imagine the government taxing you, making you pay to use a road based on the number of wheels you have on your car? It's crazy. 
They've been doing it since the time of the Romans. Uh, They would tax you based on the goods that you were transporting. If you were trading, uh, they would they would, you know, charge you a custom on the goods. They collected taxes on the fish caught in the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples who were fishermen, they knew Matthew. Because they had to pay a fee for the fish that they caught to Matthew. Uh, Now, tax collectors were hated by their fellow Jews because they worked for the Roman Empire. They worked for the enemy who subjected the Jewish people. They were viewed as traitors to their own nation. Uh, Tax collectors were also hated because they became very wealthy by, you know, extorting money from their fellow Jews. And the way that this worked is tax collectors were expected to collect a certain amount of money set by the Roman government. And then anything they collected above that amount went in their own pocket. It was like a commission and they could set their own rates. There was no standardization. Whatever they thought they could charge, they could charge anything above what they had to give to Rome went to them. Uh, In the rabbinical writings from the time, tax collectors were compared to a plague of locusts on the land. Uh, Working as a tax collector, listen, it was forbidden by Jewish law. Not not the Bible, but their their Jewish law, their civil law. It was forbidden to become a tax collector. Tax collectors were forbidden from entering into a synagogue or the temples. They were ostracized from Jewish religious life and from the community. But the tax collectors chose that. They chose that for themselves. It was worth it to them because they made so much money. Okay, I can't go to church anymore. I'm an outcast in society. Everybody hates me. I don't care. I'm getting rich. They were greedy. According to Jewish law, listen, according to Jewish law, not the Bible, but according to their law, their customs, it was acceptable to lie to a tax collector. It was acceptable to smuggle goods past the tax office without paying taxes. They justified this by saying you're protecting your property from thieves. And so you were allowed to not pay your your taxes because they were viewed as thieves. It was justified. Now look at verse 9 again. It says, when Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man. I want you to underline that in your Bible. Jesus saw a man. Now, the world saw a tax collector. And because Matthew was a tax collector, the, the world made assumptions about him. The world labeled him as a traitor and a thief and a criminal. When Jesus saw Matthew, he saw a man. The Bible says that that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart of a person. And our culture that we live in labels people. And our culture puts people into categories. And then our culture makes assumptions about people because of the category that they've put that person in or the label they've put on that person. But when Jesus looks at a person, he doesn't see labels. He doesn't see categories. He doesn't make assumptions. Jesus sees 
a man or he sees a woman. He sees a person who was made in the image of God. That's it. That's that's the only label. They're made in the image of God. They're an image bearer of God. And he sees someone who needs to be rescued from sin. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. He sees someone who needs forgiveness. He sees someone who needs to be made new. As Christians, we should see people the way that Jesus sees people. Not the way the culture sees people. Let the culture put people in categories and label people and make assumptions about them just because they've put them in a category. Let the culture do that. We're not part of the culture. We should see people the way that Jesus sees people. This is, this is a man, this is a woman made in the image of God who needs salvation. Who needs to know how to have their sins forgiven and how to receive eternal life, how they can be born again. So he sees a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And so he arose and, and followed him. Luke's gospel says Matthew forsook all and followed him. Matthew walked away from his lucrative job as a tax collector because he got a better offer from Jesus to be a disciple. And then what Matthew does He has a dinner party to introduce all of his friends to Jesus. Look at verse 10. Now it happened. As Jesus sat at the table in the house, this is in Matthew's house now. That behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now, again, according to Jewish law, the only people tax collectors were allowed to associate with were other tax collectors and and sinners. Now, sinners here, the way that it's used here, it it means people who are intentionally ignoring God's commands. They're not even trying, right? And they're okay with that. That's the way the word uh, sinner is used here. It's someone who is just disregarding God's commands in, in their life. They're outcasts from society. So this, you know, these were the kinds of people that Matthew hung out with, sinners and tax collectors. In verse 11, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, in that culture, eating with someone was a really big deal. It's not in our culture. We'll eat with a stranger if the food is good, right? Doesn't matter to us. Uh, But in that culture, eating together was a way of identification. You ate with someone, you were, you were identifying yourself with that person you ate with. There, there was a 
There was a fellowship there. There was a oneness that was shared there on a deeper level. This is why uh, you see this in several places in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. For example, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. I'll identify with you, he's saying. I'll have fellowship with you. We'll share oneness with each other. Uh, After Peter denied the Lord, remember that? Jesus meets with Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, John chapter 1. And what does Jesus do? He prepares a meal. As he's going to restore Peter back to ministry after Peter denied the Lord. Jesus does it over a meal. He's communicating through that meal. I want fellowship with you. I want to be identified with you. I want unity with you and oneness with you. Uh, Also, on the flip side of that, in 1 Corinthians 5, when Paul is instructing the believers in Corinth on how they should deal with a brother in Christ that's in the church who was sexually immoral, Paul says, don't even eat with the guy. Don't identify with him. Don't have oneness. Don't have fellowship with this guy. Don't share a meal with him. And here we see Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, and that bugged the religious leaders, the Pharisees in particular. You know, the name Pharisee, it means to be separate. The Pharisees separated themselves from any sin, any uncleanness. They would never eat with a sinner, never eat with a tax collector. They would never want to be identified with people like that. But Jesus chose to be identified with people like that. And aren't you grateful for that? That Jesus identifies with sinners. The Bible says he was numbered with the transgressors. I think it's also important for us to understand the mindset of Jesus while he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. He wasn't just like hanging out with them. Jesus described himself. Look at look at the passage in verse 12. He describes himself as a physician. And sinners as sick people. In need of a physician. By the way, verse 12 is where we get the idea of Jesus as the great physician. And so he describes this here as as more of a a physician-patient relationship. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't describe my relationship with my doctor as as a friendship, really. When I visit the doctor, the doctor doesn't come into the examining room just to hang out with me and watch TV together, watch the game. No, it's, it's a professional kind of relationship. The doctor comes in, he assesses my condition, He determines the nature of my sickness. He prescribes a course of treatment. And then the doctor is off to the next patient. Whole thing lasts like 45 seconds, right? You wait an hour in the waiting room for 45 seconds of FaceTime with the doctor. Well, again, Jesus describes himself as a physician. Dealing with a sick patient. And wait, didn't, didn't Jesus say he's a friend of sinners? No, the Pharisee said that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And also said he's a drunkard. They were mischaracterizing him. In Hebrews, it says he was separate from sinners. So he's going into this just as a physician. Trying to help people that are sick. When Jesus heard that, verse 12, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance and salvation 
through faith in him. He, he didn't come for righteous people who do not need to repent. The problem is there's none righteous, right? The Bible says there's no one righteous. No, not one. No one's righteous enough for God. We're all sick. We're all in need of the great physician. We're all sinners who need to repent and put our trust in Jesus Christ. All of us. Now, in verse 13, and we're almost finished here, I promise. Jesus says to the Pharisees, go learn what this means. And then he quotes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. The Pharisees, remember, they're experts in the scriptures. So this is kind of a dig on the Pharisees to say, go learn what this means, as if they don't know. And Jesus points them back to Hosea 6. Now, now remember what we talked about earlier. Jesus cleanses the leper. That's a sign that, of the Messiah. All the religious leaders show up in Capernaum. And then he drops this bomb on them by saying, your sins are forgiven you. Something that only God can do, forgiving sins. Now he's got Pharisees that are questioning why he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And he tells them, go back and read Hosea chapter 6. And learn what Hosea chapter 6 means. Now, why does he point them back to Hosea chapter 6? Because in Hosea chapter 6, the Lord God, Yahweh, is depicted as a physician who comes to heal the nation Israel. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Come and let us return to the Lord, Yahweh, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. In Hosea chapter 6, the Lord God is the physician who heals his people Israel. And here, Jesus describes himself as the physician who brings healing and then says, go read Hosea chapter 6. And then you'll understand what I mean when I say I'm a physician. And I've come to heal these people, the broken and the wounded of Israel. Sinners and tax collectors. The sick. I've come to call sinners to repentance. Another reference to his deity. And Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for uh, just these incredibly rich stories that we have here of Jesus and his life and what he did. And Lord, you, you make it so clear. You want to reveal yourself to us. You, you make it so clear your deity your power, your authority to not only heal, but most importantly, to forgive our sins, to cleanse us of our sins. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us and that you came to bring healing to us. To give us the greatest healing of all, the forgiveness of sins. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He asked me how I Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Matthew, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. As you listen through this series, we encourage you to read on your own as well. There's so much to gain from spending time with God in His Word. 
You'd be amazed at what can be revealed to you in a personal way. Did you hear something today that struck a chord with you and you'd like to hear it again? No problem. All of the messages you hear on Ring of Truth can be found on our website. Go to calvaryec.com and search for these teachings under the Media tab. While you're there, you'll likely find and explore other series or teachings that sound interesting. Are you growing through this study in Matthew? We sure hope so. Another resource you might find useful is our podcast. You can subscribe to the Ring of Truth podcast as another way to stay connected to the teaching of Scripture. We'll notify you each time we upload a new episode. You'll find a link to subscribe to our podcast on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also search for Ring of Truth in iTunes. If you're interested in learning more about the church that supports this radio ministry, our website has all the information you need about Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Come join us this weekend for worship and Bible study. Once again, that's calvaryec.com. Thanks for listening to Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that cry.